It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, producer of the show, and I am really happy that you're here today. I'm super excited about our guest, Dr. Kara Powell, PhD, the Chief of Leadership Formation and Executive Director of the Fuller Youth Institute at Fuller Theological Seminary. Uh, today's conversation is, is really, really exciting. She's co-authored and authored uh, many books, uh, but her brand new book is called Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager. And... I'm telling you, these questions aren't just for teenagers, they're for all of us. And we discuss the questions and what is underneath those questions. And uh, so you're going to love today's episode, regardless of what number you are. Before I turn it over to the Master of Ceremonies, I want to tell you about the Typology Institute membership. It's a paid subscription with exclusive content that's delivered to you every month. Um, one of the things that you get is a special podcast where Ian and I discuss with a guest topics like shame, trauma, uh, addiction, mindfulness. As a matter of fact, this uh, month's topic is mindfulness and meditation. Super excited about that. You get a live uh, webinar town hall Q&A every month with Ian, where we discuss that week's, uh, that month's podcast. And also, uh, you just get to ask Ian whatever questions that you have. So really, really uh, excited about that offer. Uh, it's at typologyinstitute.com forward slash membership. If you want to know more about it, you can get all your info there. So make sure you check that out. Uh, Typology Institute membership. Today's guest, Dr. Kara pal super excited about that without any further ado here is the man the myth the legend ian cron kara powell welcome to typology thanks it's good to be with you ian and anthony thank you it is yeah it's a joy you you are in pasadena right now i am in san francisco <laughs> anthony is stuck in nashville y'all have yeah. left me in the heat <laughs> and humidity mm -hmm. yep yeah, we are we are dry and happy. Actually, I could say hi, dry and high, but if you say that in, if you say that in California, it means something That's completely some different. You're just playing into the California stereotype there, Ian, That's for right. sure. That's uh, right. So, Kara, you have a brand new book, Three Big Questions That Change Every Teenager, Making the Most of Your Conversations and Connections, and I'm going to get into that, you know, uh, a little bit more in the second half of our episode because I, uh, I just actually want to jump in on some Enneagram stuff because you're, you're a student of the Enneagram yourself. For sure. And, uh, and I know that a lot of our people are going to have an interest in like the Enneagram and raising kids, particularly teenagers. And that, so I'm, I'm looking, fun, looking forward to it. You are an Enneagram 3. And that means, uh, you know, obviously that you are an achiever or a performer, depending on what signifier people like to use. How, how are you using the Enneagram in your own life. Just give us a thumbnail of your experience with it. 
Yeah. Well, I think I first encountered the Enneagram, gosh, six or seven years ago on an annual weekend away with some of my closest female friends. And mm-hmm. we had brought some Enneagram materials with us. And so we just devoured them over the course of that weekend mm-hmm. and talked about who, who, what the number that each of us were, we thought, and what our husbands were, and for some of us, what our kids were. And identifying myself as a three was incredibly illuminating for me. It's Mm. like the penny dropped on so much of what I do and why I do it. And I'll be honest, parts of myself that I really love and parts of myself that I wish I could change are all really wrapped up in my threeness. Um, And so, so being a three, I looked for all sorts of different ways to use the Enneagram. And so our team at the Full Youth Institute, we've all taken it and it's just given us such helpful language to understand each other's preferences and proclivities, drives, motivations. And then also, yes, my husband and our three kids have all taken it. And, and similarly, especially for my one daughter who pegs really high on her Enneagram, so much of what she does is wrapped up in her being a two in this case. So, mm. um, and I'm such a three in terms of being an achiever that like I first tried to get my family to take the Enneagram test on a family <laughs> vacation. Like in my mind, this would, this would be a great thing to do, right? Let's take a test and learn about each other. And and our teenagers, speaking of teenagers, our teenagers were like, no, mom, not having it. And so finally, at the start of the pandemic, we were home enough and I had them cornered enough that we took the test and they loved it. And they said they wish right. they had taken oh, it cool. earlier. Wow. Um, but yeah, that's a little bit of how I've been using the Enneagram personally and in my family and then professionally. Can you give us oh, all wonderful. their numbers real quick? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. Um, my, our, it's, it's interesting. And this is a question I have for you. I, as I mentioned, like my daughter and I, we peg really high on our numbers. I'm a high three and our 18 year old is a high two, but the other three family members are, are more mixtures. Um, and so my husband, he is a mixture of a nine and a five. And our son is a mixture of a nine and a six. And our uh, our youngest daughter, she's a mixture of a six and a two. So at least according to the test, and it actually somewhat matches what I've observed about them. So, so that was actually something I wanted to ask you as Enneagram experts is why is it that some people have such clear dominant Enneagram numbers? And why is it that some people are more mixtures or hybrids? Mm-hmm. So... I can give you just maybe two reasons at the yeah. at the very least. One is you are all nine types. Everybody contains all nine types. It's just that you tend to be dominant in one, yeah. right? So we should probably say rather than your core number or basic type, we probably should say your dominant type mm-hmm. because, because you actually contain all nine types, yeah. right? Um, secondly, um, you know, if you've taken a test where it's like you scored highest on this, then next on this, next on this, next on this. Well, as you know, as, an, as a PhD uh, working in academia, that not all psychometrics are constructed the same. Right? Sure, sure. Some, you know, uh, we're working, I've worked with psychometricians, and I, I know that, you know, these guys have PhDs in psychometrics. I mean, it's like, Constructing a test is an expensive and very, very, you know, involved process. So all to say, I, I always just tell people, you know, when you take a test, see it as a data point, but yeah. not as de- 
as not as definitive, you know, sure. uh, it's, it's good to take it and then read a book and mm. confirm it or mm. meet with an any or meet with an Enneagram teacher and have them really tease it out for when you say nine and five or nine and six, I, you know, I would say that, um, they should ask themselves the question, which of these types, the unconscious motivation of each yeah. of these types yeah. sounds more like me yeah. than any other. Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's their type. They're not a mix of nine and five. If you had said to me nine and one and sure. nine, or nine, nine and eight, I'd go, right. yeah, that makes sense. It's their sure. wing. Their wing. But, but the other two, I'd be like, mm, you know, you, you're probably just seeing a lot of features in there that you resonate with, but stick with your dominant type. Yeah. There is of course a line between the nine and the six. So there could be some, some relation there. Yeah. Thank you, Anthony. That's right. When a, when a nine is not doing well, they go to the low side of six. Mm -hmm. Mm. Right. So if, you're the person who took it was kind of in a place of stress when they took it yeah. or when they interpret it, that could also color the result. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason you score so high is think of it this way. It's like some people hit the target right in the middle and it's so obvious. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. It took me 10 months to figure out my type. And, mm. and that's because I'm what, what's called a blurry four. It's like, that's part of the reason, you know, some people lie are outliers inside the type, you know, and versus char- so squarely pegged mm-hmm. in the middle. So, well, that's really helpful. Thanks, Ian. And, and I mean, to your point, actually, uh, our kids, especially, they took the test at the start of the pandemic. And so that there might be some biases mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. It's probably time for us to revisit it and, and reprocess it again and try to identify that dominant type. That's really helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would also just encourage you at, at the risk of being self-promotional, but for a teenager, this would be best. Just have them read the road back to you. Yeah, because it because it's readable. It's yeah. got stories, Good. and it's a it's a basic primer, and etc. You know, and so it's it's very accessible to uh, a teenager versus yeah. others that are that thick and pretty technical. Sure, sure. It's you a know? great book to have a discussion with your family as well. We did that with our yeah. children. We have three children, and we had a lot of fun you know, working through a test and then reading through the book. So, so you said you, you, you gave some references to how you're using it in your own life. So my, my other question is because this is a big part of the reason that the Enneagram exists, which is how are you using it to work with your shadow side, Mm. shadow aspects of your type? Yeah. Well, as I said, there's, there's a lot that I love about myself as an achiever, but some of my tendencies to work too hard and, uh, and, and, (laughs) and be too focused on that to-do list, that task, not being relational enough. So for me, you know, my, the area where I'm really trying to grow is in embracing the six part of me that is loyal, that is connected with others, et cetera. So um, it, it's, it's easy for me. And I see this in myself when I, when I feel stressed and when I feel stressed, this phrase has literally come out of my mouth. I said to my husband, I just want to get my laptop and work. Like mm-hmm. that is, that is gratifying for me. That brings mm-hmm. comfort to me. And 
while there might be a time and a place for that, I'm trying to more experience my comfort in my relationship with God, as well as my relationship with others. So Mm -hmm. more Mm -hmm. making sure that I'm connected in community in the midst of that shadow side versus constantly trying to fill it with accomplishments, which Mm -hmm. is my, my tendency. That's your drug of choice. Oh my goodness. Yeah. My laptop, an empty (laughs) email box is is so gratifying to me. (laughs) So one of the things you've given me a moment to maybe teach a little bit with folks who are listening. One of the things I encourage people to do when they have an afflictive emotion. So it could be stress. It could be, you know, might come in the form of anxiety or depression, or they're feeling lonely or they're feeling grief or whatever it is. That the key is, in my mind, is to just be curious about the feeling mm-hmm. and resist the yeah. need to do anything. <sighs> so don't, don't have an aversive reaction and push it away because that will only strengthen it, yeah. right? Yeah. And at the same time, don't cling to it. Yeah. Actually, just sort of, you know, our feelings are not monolithic. They're not iron structures in the ground that are huge and will be here forever. It's like, no, just observe it. Be curious, knowing that it's an impermanent thing. It's going to blow through. Yeah. And just being present with it actually will uh, give you such a greater degree of self-knowledge mm. and, and self-compassion. You know. Mm. Anyway, thank you for raising that uh, versus going into your particular type's defenses, right? Yeah. Um, I have a friend of mine who's a one, and every time uh, he gets stressed – he says, I, I want to go outside and vacuum the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mm, that's probably, yeah. a, you know, that's probably a cue to sit with it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, and it is interesting, good. those those coping mechanisms, at least for me, I certainly gravitated toward them at a very young age. So mm. I, I remember being a young child at age four or five and and I would get up in the morning and I would go to this craft table that we had and I would literally cut glue, glitter, you know, like kind of get things done. That was my version of getting things done as a three at age four or five, which I think I was going to when I was feeling uncomfortable emotions instead of, mm-hmm. like you're saying, being able to sit with it, be mindful of it, acknowledging it and, and not trying to, in my case, work it away uh, is what I tend to do. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I, I I hear you on that. As a four, I can just get stuck. Hmm. I, I can just get stuck in the feeling. And yeah. whereas some numbers push feelings away, yeah, the aversion thing, yeah. I'm a clinger. Yeah, you know, I I just cling too long to yeah. them. You yeah. know, yeah. Uh, uh, Larry Larry Crab has said that uh, people are either troubled reflectors or shallow copers. And so the shallow coper is, you know, constantly trying to not feel the emotion to, in my case, again, work through it. Whereas that troubled reflector is really mm. experiencing it, which is lovely, but then perhaps, like you said, gets kind of stuck in it. So, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's let's talk a little bit about your book. Three big questions that change every teenage teenager making the most of your conversations and connections. Now, 50,000 foot, give us the premise of the book. Yeah. Well, I love young people and part of what myself and my co-author Brad Griffin, we love about young people, especially teenagers, is they're just walking bundles of questions, uh, trying to figure out who am I, where do I fit, and what difference can I make? And Mm -hmm. so 
we actually think those three questions, who am I, where do I fit, and what difference can I make, those are the questions that bubble beneath a lot of the more surface questions that young people are asking. And so we did a lot of research. We surveyed over 2,000 teenagers. We did deep dive interviews with 27 teenagers from around the country. And by deep dive, I mean four to six hours of time with each teenager. Uh, we really skewed that interview sample toward teenagers of color. Uh, in the midst of everything else that happened in 2020, we also crossed the line demographically with those under 18, that half of those under 18 are now young people who are white and half of those are young people of color. And so we wanted to make sure that we, we actually disproportionately listen to, learn from, empathize with mm. young people of color. Um, and so out of all that research, we came to understand that A, yes, these are the three big questions, identity, belonging, and purpose. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? But we also came to a clear understanding of how is it that young people are currently answering these questions mm -hmm. and how do we journey with them toward better answers to those big questions? Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to hit that. Oh, but, but, but I think I'm a four. So questions that you're bringing up are so natural to me. I am. And I actually, when I read the premise of the book, you know, like we're all experiencing social isolation. We're all working online, not just yeah. kids. We've, we've all experienced George Floyd and yeah. racial strife and yeah. COVID, a crazy election, January 6th, deferred dreams, right? I mean, and these are all right out of your book, right? And, and the question I have, couldn't this book for adults wrestling with the very same issues <laughs> yeah yeah and and somebody should probably write that book ian uh, <laughs> because and i know i would read it uh but to your point yes this book is about young people because that's that's our research uh, specialty but these aren't just young people questions these are people people questions of who mm -hmm. am i where do i fit mm -hmm. what difference can i make and i think this is part of what draws us to the enneagram is it helps give us our own answers to those questions and even understand our best process to identify those answers mm -hmm. to those questions. But you know, what I, what I like to say is those of us over 30, these three questions of identity, belonging and purpose are at kind of a low simmer. For our young people, for our teenagers and young adults, these questions are at a rolling boil. So it's right. just a lot more developmental heat on those questions. So yeah, I would say these questions cut across generations and, and actually, you know, cut across at least many cultures. I don't want to make a completely transcultural statement, but across many cultures, they're just especially poignant for teenagers and young adults. You know, I've, I've run across these questions. I can't remember who the psychologist was, who was it Rollo May? I can't remember who it mm -hmm. was that, but I, the way I understood them was that there are three fundamental questions in adolescence. One was, who am I? Where do I belong? Yeah. And am I really loved? Yeah. And and I don't know if those are synonymous with these or overlapping. And that really, if you don't answer those questions well enough in adolescence, yeah. then developmentally, when you go into your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you're actually uh, handicapped and prevented from asking the important questions of those decades, mm. which change. And those mm -hmm. questions change, right? Mm -hmm. You know, in your... 50s and 60s, it, it might be, um, have I forgiven 
it, it might yeah. be, you, you know what I mean? Like, I think every decade has its own questions that need resolving. That's another book, Anthony. We should talk <laughs> about that. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, let's, you, you just said that different types might answer these questions or draw on different gifts and strengths and perhaps be subject to different difficulties in response to answering these questions. What did you mean by that? Yeah. Well, one of the ideas that we toyed with and actually different psychologists have have different opinions about is, um, you know, is there one of those questions that perhaps leads the way among the other two? for you as an individual. Mm. So a, a little bit like, you know, you have your primary motivations in the Enneagram. Similarly, which of these questions is, is kind of the primary motivator? Oh. So, yeah. So what, you know, what are you kind of ultimately first seeking? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example with my husband. My husband uh, is high on purpose. That's, that's one of his fo foci. Mm -hmm. Like when he hears about a need in the world, he wants to go board a plane and grab a hammer and fix whatever can be fixed. Mm -hmm. um, he's very driven to serve, to make a justice, excuse me, to, to make a difference, to be involved in justice. Um, I'm more driven by the identity questions, trying to figure out who I am, and how do I come to terms with who I am in a way that is, again, separate from my achievement, because I often default to what I've achieved to define what I am. And that invariably ends up falling short. So, um, so that's just an example in, in our marriage of what tends to, what's the gas pedal for us as individuals. My 18-year-old, um, she's very much driven by belonging. And, and some of my psychology friends actually say that of the three questions, belonging is the one most likely to, to be the driver, that we're looking for that sense of community ultimately. Um, I, I've talked with for, some people. For who everyone actually, or for the teenager? I just wanted uh, to. Good question. More specifically for the teenager. Okay. Um, but okay. some psychologists would extend that beyond adolescence, okay. but mm -hmm. uh, more specifically the teenager. Uh, there are, I've, I've talked with other people and I think there's some merit in this that for this generation of young people, purpose might be a little bit more likely to be that driver. This generation is hungry to make a difference. Mm -hmm. So, so I think that's an interesting question for all of us to reflect on when we have particular heat about a situation, about an emotion, about an experience, what is it that we're trying to find? Is it our identity? Is it a sense of belonging? Is it a sense of purpose? And some of us have different propensities. Mm -hmm. I love this because it's almost like, I would, for lack of a better word, let's go phrase. It's like an existential preference pack. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if, yeah. you, if you if you think of it as a cake, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. The top layer for one type of type would be where do I belong. The yeah. middle one might be where do I, you know, where who am I, and then yeah. the one that's more repressed. Uh, would be the third, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. What difference can I make? And so, you know, I think with different types, they, they might lead with different questions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I know that twos, threes, and fours, it's so interesting what you said, all have issues around identity, mm -hmm. all of them. Mm -hmm. And that's why that's why all three project images of a, of a self that they hope will mm -hmm. uh, win. For threes, the admiration of others. For twos, it would be winning the love and approval, appreciation of others, right? And fours are a little trickier because fours really want to know, they, they feel like they lack wholeness and therefore they don't belong in the world, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, and so that question might be a little bit more with them, but fundamentally they project an image of specialness and uniqueness because they think that will win them uh, a sense of belonging, of being seen. So this is all very fascinating yeah. stuff. Yeah. Makes me wonder if those three questions could correspond, like where you were headed, Ian, with like the, with, with the different triads, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking, yeah. feeling, doing, or uh, the different I centers. I, I know I have to really think about it, right? Mm -hmm. um, because there's, you know, I can see where, you know, fours, fives, and nines might have one, ones, twos, and sixes, another one. Mm -hmm. Three sevens and eights, a different um, leading question. I don't know, Kara. Maybe we. I need to come. I was out at Fuller teaching about two years ago with Mako Fujimura, and I um, thought, see, now I'll come back out and we'll do this together. We right? can co-teach this, and, and maybe a book comes out of it, just like we've been talking about. <laughs> a lot of book ideas here. So. A lot of book ideas, yeah. for sure. For I, sure. I will, I will say this when you talk about that, that twos and threes and fours, uh, having the, on that quest for identity as we spent time, especially in the interviews with these 27 teenagers, where they were just gut-wrenching honest. I mean, it was just a mm -hmm. privilege to hear from young people talking about their own journey. Wow. Um, one of their very common answers, in fact, one of their most two common answers for the identity question was not feeling like they were enough. For young people who don't feel smart enough, for young people who don't feel popular enough, who don't, young people who don't feel attractive enough, for young people of color who don't feel Latino enough or black enough, mm. um, and on and on the list goes. It's like a different adjective, but but young people really struggling with feeling that they aren't enough. And I know that's what I struggle with as a three. I'm I'm constantly feeling like mm -hmm. I I'm I'm not enough. And if I just work, if I just achieve, if I just accomplish then I'll somehow feel like I'm enough. Now, the reality is, uh, you know, even my, even my most productive day um, can leave me feeling somewhat empty. And so that's, that's part of what we were also wrestling with is what are ultimate better answers to those questions of identity, belonging, and purpose? Uh, if this is All our right. current answer that we don't feel like we're enough, mm -hmm. what's a better answer? Okay, so just to remind people, we have um, three questions. Every teenager really needs to uh, address. They are trying to address them, whether consciously or unconsciously, right? Great point. So Great that, point. That's happening. And so, um, and by the way, that means in adulthood, and I, I guess also as a, you know, as teenagers, um, that you know the conscious quest. Uh, is better than the unconscious quest, mm. I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. And and so um, those three questions are, who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference can I make? And that those three questions are at the core of the human person. Yeah. And it sounds like what you're saying is that, and I think this goes across type and across culture, That and we come up with wonderful theological answers for it and, and, and proofs for it, that that shame is, is such a um, mm. a profound yes. problem. I, you know, Kara, I've asked myself at different conferences because I, you know, I speak in so many places like you do, and it's Anthony and I were recently somewhere uh, on a trip, and people were sharing very deeply about their lives. Mm. Uh, every person of twenty, every person was so uh, fettered with shame. Yeah. I was, and some of them extraordinarily successful. I mean, like billionaire successful. Yeah. And I'm like, God, 
man, if someone can figure out how to get rid of shame, they'd <laughs> be bigger than Microsoft and Amazon put together. Man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, it's just such a paralyzing spiritual mm. toxic mm-hmm. toxin. You know, it's like, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. And really you could say that a lot of what happens in types, I think each of them is, uh, um, a failed attempt to cope with shame. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a disorganized strategy for dealing yeah. with shame. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious, Ian, thinking about shame, do you think in the types, while it's a failed attempt, is there also something maybe redemptive in how they're trying to experience a truth beyond shame? Well, I mean, great question. I mean, I think the strategies that we devise as little people yeah. to help us, you know, cope, uh, protect our, our authentic selves from yeah. harm. Yeah. We create, um, you know, a false self. And this is just yeah. Winnicott, right? I'm just, I'm just talking yeah. about Winnicott. You know, it's not like I came up with this magic, these magic words. And although I could say Thomas Merton did too, mm-hmm. but, but I think that, um, we develop a, a personality that in the structure of which is really designed to protect us. Mm. Uh, and it works as a little person, but when we yeah. drag it into adulthood, it begins to screw us. So yeah. in other words, you as a little person, you started to get this message somehow, some variant of the message, you know, um, people only value people for what they do rather than for who they are inside. Yeah. Right. 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 And, and because of your hardwiring and, probably cultural um, setting and everything else, you not you were like, okay, so that's how I'm going to get my needs met. I'm going to become an achiever and a performer, and that's going to become my identity. I'm going to yeah. completely buy into that as my identity. Yeah. And, and in the process, then you lost touch with your true self. Yeah. You started to over-identify with that yeah. personality pattern. And then, you know, uh, it's not like there's a moment in development where you finally say, oh, I'm safe enough now that I don't have to play that game. Mm-hmm. You just keep playing it because you probably mm-hmm. got a lot of strokes for it as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, she's such a go-getter. She gets mm-hmm. things done. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you went to Stanford all the way through. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. she's going to Stanford. And you are just like, wow, you get a lot of love for being this person. Yeah. And then at some point in life, if you're lucky, you hit a wall with that, that story, that yeah. strategy. Yeah. And then you have to ask yourself the question, who am I? Yeah. And that's, as I said, I think that's true for all the types. It's like, yeah, keep the gifts of the type, but right. as a, but as a strategy, yeah. for getting your, your needs met, it's a disaster. That makes good sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I mean, there is, there is definitely there are positive obviously aspects of all sure. types we just yes. can't we just can't put our eggs in the basket of that type right. to find our ultimate sense of meaning that's yeah, almost too not- good of a i was going to say it's almost too good of a setup Ian, to not ask kara like what you know where was it that you pivoted and undid that story for yourself uh, well, the verb tense would be ongoing there, uh, <laughs> Anthony. So it is it is not only past tense, but um, but, but you know, for me, I, I my faith really means quite mm. a bit to me, and mm. and I am a Christian, and so in the midst of this narrative that says I'm not enough, what I what I 
cling to what I pray for myself every day. It's on my list of daily prayer requests for myself is that, that I would know that God makes me enough. Mm. Um, and in, in the midst of the shame that I struggle with, Ian, and I, I find Brene Brown's definition of shame so very helpful. Yeah. Um, you know, shame is thinking that, that you're a bad person. Guilt is thinking you're somebody who does bad things. And so, you know, that shame that so taints how I think about myself top to bottom, soup to nuts, so to speak, instead of, instead of leaning into that to, to remind myself, okay, God, you make me enough. Um, and, and that, that's what's helped. Um, the, the ruts of me feeling like I'm not enough are pretty deep, but through, through spiritual direction, through amazing community, um, slowly, I, I'm finding that my wagon's getting out of those ruts and, mm. and able to experience, like you were saying, Ian, some of the positives of who I am as a three. I like that I'm a productive person. Like, I, yeah. I actually really mm-hmm. like that about myself. I don't want that to change. I just don't want to find productivity my way of soothing myself. Mm-hmm. Th- that right. just doesn't ultimately satisfy. Right. So it's like uh, the ability to say, I want to be a productive person versus I need to be a productive person. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's two quotes I often use with threes. And I don't know if you've read, uh, I don't know if it's Thomas Halleck. Uh, he wrote this beautiful book and he quotes, the title of the book is a quote from St. Augustine that uh, I guess Augustine is um, speaking on behalf of God. He just, the statement is so simple. I want you to be. Mm. And it's almost like, I wanted you to be. That's yeah. why you're here. Right. <laughs> and, but it's also, That's I good. want you to be, right? Yeah. And, and then the second quote by Augustine, Augustine has so many great quotes, but, yeah. but my second favorite Augustine quote that he used to pray, because he, you know, Augustine was, a, I think, probably a three. Mm-hmm. And he was also very driven, very, very much an achiever. And, and Augustine once said, he used to pray, Lord, let it be for your sake that I am loved. Mm-hmm. And I mm. love that for threes. Wow. I love it for everybody. But, yeah. but let, let it be for your sake that I am loved. There's nothing wrong with being admired or loved. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah, right. There's nothing wrong with people saying, gosh, Kara is awesome. It's just the ability for you and for me to say, mm-hmm. but let it be for your sake, your sake. That, I, mm-hmm. that I am admired, that I am loved, that I am appreciated, that I am, you know, all those things mm-hmm. for different types. Just let it be for your sake, not mine. That's great. You know, so for great. your sake, not mine. Okay. Beautiful. So what's the strategy? All right. You're a doer. So tell me, how, how do how do teenagers, how do we as adults answer these three germane, or I guess germane uh, is not the right word, but uh, pivotal questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? How, what do we, what, how do you want teenagers to answer those questions? And then I want you to tell me how you think you hope adults do. Yeah, yeah. Well, how in terms of the content of better answers or the process? Give or me a both. better process. Give okay. us give us a better process. Okay, better process. Excellent. So, um, you know, the, the good news about teenagers is when adults earn the right to be heard, uh, then they're quite open to adult relationship. So the way that we earn that right to be heard, to quote Young Life founder Jim Rayburn, is that we listen and we empathize with them, that we slow down our pace as adults and really look that young person we care about in the eyes 
and, and ask them a few questions, ask them to tell us more. We give over 300 questions in the book so that wow. an adult, yeah, 300, way more than probably any adult could get through with anyone. You are teenager. a three. Yeah, <laughs> you are a three. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. 300, because 200 wasn't enough, right? So we wanted to do 300. So, uh, but we give all those questions so that any adult, parent, step-parent, grandparent, mentor, teacher, neighbor, whatever it might be, whatever role an adult has in a young person's life has this question toolkit to really try to listen to what's going on in a young person's life, listen wow. to, you know, how are they doing in their identity, belonging and purpose? And how can we journey with or uh, how can we accompany? I love that verb accompany, which uh, my Catholic friends use a lot when they talk about mentoring. How can we accompany that young person uh, toward finding better, more life-giving, more freeing answers to those three questions? So, so it, it, I mean, in essence, it's empathizing, listening. And I'll tell you, we as adults, we are so quick to judge young people, especially millennials and Gen Z. I mean, they've gotten so much bad press in, in our world and in our culture here in the U.S. And wouldn't it be great if you were the adult that a young person knew was a safe place that wasn't going to point their fingers, we're not going to point our fingers at them, but we're going to put an arm around them and walk alongside them through the highs and lows of life. Mm. Okay, so three questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? What difference can I make? I'm going to yeah. keep saying those questions over and over again because I want Great. people to remember them as we talk and I want them to remember Perfect. when this is over. Perfect. So um, I feel like um, it's possible that the, these are not static answers. These are like, in other words, um, you at 18 might have one answer and at 28, a different answer. Yeah. Is that possible? Or do you think it's like, nope, you figure it out in, in, when you're a teenager and that's pretty much the script? No, I, I mean, I think, as you've already said, our early childhood influences are very formative and might put us on a particular trajectory, but there's no, there's hardly any straight lines in our journey, right? I mean, they're a lot more squiggly and a lot more up and down. So I do think we can toggle back and forth between different answers or, you know, maybe have a dominant answer, but then there's a particular offshoot for a season. So, uh, so to your point, no, I think our, our answers can, can change some. And um, what we ultimately want for young people and people of all generations is for, for us to all land on healthy, life-giving answers that help us thrive to those questions. Um, mm, that's what right. we're after in the book. Mm. Uh, yeah, because I think those are probably great questions a person could every five years take mm -hmm. on retreat yeah. mm -hmm. and, and say, okay, yeah. well, you know, now I'm the parent of a three-year-old or two, you know, three kids under six. And the question, the way you would answer, what difference can I make? Like, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. Would be yeah. different at that age yeah. than it would be when you retire. Yeah. For you know, sure. Like, what difference can I make is very, very different. And and also the 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 knowledge that you bring at those different seasons of life is is very different, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love these. And, and of those 300 questions, are those questions too that, there's a good number of them that anybody at any age could use in their own self-reflection. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, 170 of the questions come from the interviews we did with young people. Um, but a few members of our research team, I, I love that they did this. They took the time to journal answers to those questions themselves because they wanted to grow themselves and they found it enormously rewarding. And these were people who were in their 
you know, twenties and thirties. So, so absolutely. Yeah. These are questions that can help any of us in our own self-reflection and, and oh growth gosh. journey, as well as for us to ask others, young people or other generations. I can't wait to dig into those. Ian and I are always talking about the power of a great question. Oh yeah. It's so I good. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to actually try and increase sales of your books. So this is this book, as I understand it, is a wonderful book for anybody that finds themselves involved in the life of a teenager. So it could be yeah. a caretaker, a coach, a teacher, yeah. a parent, right? All that. Yeah. But but it also might be a great book for any adult who feels like as a teenager, for whatever mm -hmm. reason, mm -hmm. they were not afforded the opportunity to really answer yeah. these questions well. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And or feels like hey, it's time for me to, you know, look at these three questions as an adult and, and work with them now as well. Right. So uh, now I just want everyone to know you do not just have to be the parent of a teenager involved in the life of teenagers to gain, you know, real benefit from reading this book. Yeah. Thank you. That yeah, Is that fair? Yeah, that's very fair. I mean, I think it helps us process uh, our own development, our own growth also in these three key questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. And so um, I, I, these questions have become just like the Enneagram, honestly. And I've had multiple people say, gosh, it's like the Enneagram. It really helps you understand yourself and others. So, so I'm glad we're drawing all these parallels. Um, just, like, just like the Enneagram gives us a, a way to understand ourselves and others identity, belonging, purpose. And we even call them around our office, IBP. Um, IBP give us a new lens to understand mm. ourselves, understand where are we healed and where are we experiencing real freedom and where are we not quite yet healed and we need to continue to experience freedom. Mm. Enneagram 3, Kerry Powell, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Anthony, what do you think? Oh, I can't wait to get my hands on this book. I know. <laughs> I think it's like uh, what Madeline Lingle. You write a great book. You have a great premise and write a great book for someone younger, and you've written it for everyone. So, uh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, and I'll tell you, we are such big fans of Typology and this fantastic podcast that we mm. have a special offer for Typology uh, watchers or listeners, uh, whether you're watching the video or listening to the podcast, that if you go to threebigquestionsbook.com, and that's the number three, bigquestionsbook.com and then slash typology. Not only do you get a free chapter of the book, but you get 40 additional conversation starters wow. to help you have a better conversation with a teenager or young adult. And these are not in the book. So this is additional content just for typology friends. Yay. Very cool. Thank you. We love, we love giveaways. Anthony, can we make sure that that gets in the show notes or we get yep. that out on socials? Yeah, too we'll make sure everybody? that goes out with the email and on socials. Yep. Love that. Kara, thank you so much. Anthony. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're come back home. <laughs> you, there you are though. You're 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 in the uh, the cave at uh, Typology Studios. You got the I lights know. on in the doors behind you. I love that. Yeah. And, uh, of, and and of course I love our our tribe of of listeners and uh as they know, we close with those words. May you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing. May you have rest mm. until next time.